Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Hallelujah. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Are we ready in the back? Okay. We're continuing in our series on the book of Proverbs, uh, Sefer Mishlei. Today is part 13. We're going to look today at the tongue and what's called Lashan Hara, uh, evil speech, and its devastating effect on our relationships, and then how to repair our relationships. So turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We have a whole bunch of verses we'll put on the overhead uh, from a number of different chapters and, and, and I put together, and it, it says this. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Those who have no sense deride their neighbors, but those who have understanding hold their tongues. Gossips betray a confidence, but the trustworthy keep a secret. Whoever would foster love covers covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Don't gloat when your enemies fall, uh, when they stumble. Don't let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. Don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Uh, Would you use your lips to mislead? Don't say, I'll do them as they've done to me. Uh, I'll pay them back for what they did. What you've seen with your eyes, uh, do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you take your neighbor to court, don't betray another's confidence, or the one who hears it may shame you, and the charges against you will stand. If your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Better is open rebuke than hidden lie. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Amen. So today we're looking at all these passages from the book of Proverbs that talk about our relationships. You can't make it in life without right relationships. Relationships will make or break your life. And therefore, you won't make it unless you're wise enough to know how and why your relationships often break down and how you can repair them. So let's look today at what these verses say about relationship breakdown and repair on the overhead of three items we're going to look at. Number one, the need for relationship repair, why we need it so much. Number two, what are the components of relationship repair? Uh, And number three, the heart of relationship repair. So first, our inevitable constant need for relationship repair. Look at Proverbs 10, 18. He who conceals uh, his hatred with li- has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. He who conceals hatred has lying lips. Now, now what does the book of Proverbs mean when it talks about hatred? You know, in English, uh, this word usually means screaming anger. You know, I'm ready to tear your eyes out. <laughs> uh, but biblically, uh, the word hatred is much broader. And uh, in- the overhead. Uh, in the Bible, hate means, simply means ill will. You have ill will against someone when you begin to, to, for you to find happiness in their unhappiness. You're into hate 
you're having ill will for someone when you find happiness in their unhappiness. Proverbs 24, 17. Don't gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, don't let your heart rejoice. When you see somebody and you have ill will towards them, uh, you know you do because when they mess up, when they fail, when they're embarrassed, when something, someone puts them down, you like it. <laughs> you find their unhappiness pleasant. You find their unhappiness satisfying. Or, or if it's not happening, then you hope for it to happen. Uh, you, you, you root for it. You root for their comeuppance. And when it happens, you smile inside. Now that's hatred. That's the seeds uh, of hatred. Now what do we do typically? Uh, what do we typically do with our hatred? Uh, the answer is we conceal it. We hide it. And we don't, we don't just conceal it from the other person. Uh, hate isn't just uh, this blind screaming rage. Hate begins small. So you conceal it from the person. But mainly, you conceal it from yourself. You won't call it what it is. Uh, you won't look at it like that. Uh, now, if you think I'm exaggerating, you could have the same problem with the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua is talking about murder, and he does, he does the same thing. looks at the seeds of murder. So look at Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. But I say unto you, anyone who's angry with a, with a brother or sister without cause will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, uh, you good for nothing, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Now, when we, re when we read this, let's be honest, it seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? We want to say, wait a minute, that's not murder, just mere disdain, mere ill will. But what Yeshua is saying is, how do you think murder starts? Every acorn has the potential within it, at the, with the right time and the right fertilizer and the right water, every acorn has a power within it to become a whole forest. One acorn. Because that acorn will produce an oak tree that in turn will have hundreds and hundreds of acorns in it. They will produce more oak trees and so on and so on until you have a whole forest. Now, very few acorns produce a forest, but it has the power within it to do so over time. And in the same way, if you find happiness in someone else's unhappiness, if you smile on the inside when someone else is brought down, that's the seed of hate. And there's enormous potential for, 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 for great evil in that seed. Now, now what do you do uh, when the hate's there? We conceal it. We conceal it from ourselves because we don't want to call it what it is. Uh, and we conceal it uh, from them. Uh, but then what do we do? With them, we slander them to others with our tongue. So you may conceal it from yourself and even from the other person. But when you're talking about that person to other folk, that's where it comes out in slander on the overhead. In other words, slander in the book of Proverbs does not necessarily mean a false report. It means simply a bad report. It means it doesn't have to be false to still be slander if you're bringing a bad report. Now, this doesn't mean you can never voice a, a negative evaluation or judgment uh, of somebody. 
But, but this is what the, the scripture is saying. Any communication designed to diminish the other person in the eyes of the listener is slander. Because why? Because it's ill will. It's ill will. Now you begin to see why we all need relationship repair. Because when ill will and the shanhara, uh, the evil tongue, slander begins to happen, community is destroyed. Relationships are destroyed. Now do you see why the need for relationship repair in our lives is always present? Because we sin with our mouth all the time, often without a second thought. We're so used to speaking ill of other people that we don't even recognize it. Uh, we, don't, we don't even think it's a big deal. The truth is, if you would record yourself all day, you'd see that you're speaking ill of others much, much more than you realize. Which also means, by the way, others are equally speaking ill of you as well, more than they realize. <laughs> We're drowning in a sea of shanhara, of the evil tongue. Every day you see people who, who uh, you may consider to be, for them to be ruthless or, or selfish or, or, or braggarts or narcissists or, or full of themselves, and you look at them and you just hope someone will put them in their place. And before you know it, unconsciously, you're starting to slip into hate. Inevitably, with people at work, with people right here at the shul, with people in your family, and others are doing the same thing to you. So we all need to heal our tongues and engage in relationship repair. The misuse of your tongue, which comes from a heart of ill will, because the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart, your slanderous tongue, it twists you and destroys both you and the person you're speaking against. Look at Proverbs twenty-four twenty-eight. Don't testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Now, why would somebody give false testimony in court? You know, commit perjury. That's, a very, that's very serious. Going to court and swearing to something you know isn't true. Why would you do that? What would make someone that dishonest? And the answer is in the very next verse. Look at Proverbs twenty-four twenty-nine. Don't say, I'll do to him as he did to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. There it is. Look what's happened. Someone wrongs you. Uh, you now have ill will against them. And you begin to root for them to be unhappy. You begin to hope that person becomes unhappy. You begin to tie your happiness to their unhappiness. But what if they don't get unhappy? Uh, what if they continue to live a charmed life? So then you begin to say... I've got to make them unhappy. Oh, but I can say in court, they did this and that. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a lie, but, but he lied against me. He did this to me. On the overhead, what's happened? The evil done to you is beginning to shape you into its own image. You're becoming what you hate. And you can't even see it. The power of ill will, the power of hate in this little seed form begins to twist you and shape you and defeat you. Because the very thing you're trying to defeat is defeating you, even as you try to defeat it. The dark side is winning, as they say, when you give in to hate. Near the end of the movie, uh, The Last of the Mohicans, great movie, 
uh, Hawkeye, the hero, he's denouncing the bad guy, a magua, uh, in front of the Mohawkin chief. Uh, and in the overhead, he says this. He says, uh, at one point he says, he says, Magua's heart is so twisted by hate, he's become like that which twisted him. That's what we're talking about. If you allow ill will to fill your heart and to darken your soul, if you, if you roll your eyes at people in your mind, if you root for their comeuppance, if you give bad reports about them to others, it not only destroys community, it also turns you into the very image of the thing you hate. It's destructive. The book of Proverbs says you are a fool if you engage in Lashon Hara, in slander, in gossip. So to be wise, uh, you've got to see that you have seeds of this happening to you, uh, of you engaging in this behavior every day. And you're not surprised when people do this to you. Uh, and you're not surprised when you, when you find yourself doing it to others. And you know that now that you need to repent and reform and reshape your speech patterns on the overhead. So that's number one, a quick overview of the need, the ever-present need in every one of us for relationship repair. Now let's look at number two, the components of relationship repair. How do you reform your use of your tongue? According to the book of Proverbs, we see four components to repair and restore our broken relationships in this area. So on the overhead, you need to, number one, resist the superiority. Number two, release from liability. Number three, overcome evil with good. And number four, having first done all those first three things, and only if you've first done them, then you confront as necessary. So first, you have to resist the superiority. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 12. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Gossips betray our confidence, but, a trust, but the trustworthy, a trustworthy man keeps a secret. So on the overhead, what is the root of ill will? What is the soil in which it grows? What's the soil in which ill will and gossip and slander and tail-bearing grow? The book of Proverbs says it's derision, which means you look down on someone. Uh, you can't, by the way, you cannot stay angry at someone unless you feel superior to them. As soon as your sense of superiority is gone, the ill will begins to go away. Uh, that is, in order for you to maintain resentment against somebody, you need to be saying to yourself deep down in your heart, I would never do that. If the person's doing something that, that you do yourself all the time, then you can understand it and, 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 and not be so bitter. But to maintain your resentment and your ill will, you need to feel superior and be, to them better than them. And according to the book of Proverbs, that feeling of superiority that we have over other people is the very root of our ill will and gossip and slander and all the things that destroy our relationships. Now, where does this sense of superiority come from? In our, in our English translation, kind of masks or hides what the book of Proverbs is actually saying here. Uh, but it says in Proverbs 11, verse 12, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. Literally, it doesn't say that. Literally, the Hebrew says, a man without a heart looks down on his neighbor. Now, the translators couldn't translate this literally, because our English word heart means something different than what it means in Hebrew. 
In English, uh, to you and I, the word heart means uh, the seat of our emotions, right? So a man without a heart would mean someone who has no feelings, someone who's unfeeling. But when the Bible uses the word heart, it means the very core of your being. It's the seat of your entire personality, mind, will, and emotions. It's essentially who you are. It's a synonym, uh, in many ways, for your soul. So when it says a man without a heart looks down on his neighbor, it's saying the superiority with which we treat uh, the people around us is a symptom of something wrong at the very core of our being. It's not just a minor blip or little problem. Here's the Bible's analysis of what's going on at the very core of your being. According to the Bible, you desperately want to call the shots in your life. Lead your own life the way you want to. We want to be our own masters and lords. We want to answer to no one. And the overhead, as the famous poem says, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. We all want to be in charge. We all want to be in control of how we live without any kind of outside influence by God or by society or by synagogue or family. Your default mode is to want to call the shots in your own life. That's your human nature. But at the very same time, the scriptures also say, at some very deep level, you know that you're, not, you're therefore trying to put yourself in place of God. So on the one hand, your fallen human nature says, I want, I want the place of God. I want to call the shots in my life. But on the other hand, your conscience uh, deep down knows you should not be doing that. And that you're rebelling, you're rebelliously uh, trying to usurp the rightful place of God as Lord in your life. As we saw, we all go out into the, into the world desperately insecure as a result of this conflict, uh, desperately insecure, ra- radically, uh, uh, in desperate need of self-justification. We constantly need to prove that we're okay, prove to other people we're okay. And whenever someone fails in front of you, or especially if they fail you, your self-justification apparatus goes into hyperdrive. And, and you jump in and you say, what adult, what a stupid idiot. My God, how ridiculous. And here's how it works. You use someone else's failure as an opportunity to convince yourself that I'm okay, uh, that I'm superior, uh, that I would never do that. And you turn that person uh, who, uh, who's done this into a caricature, uh, into a cartoon, uh, you know, there's cartoonists who draw caricatures of famous people. You can always tell if the cartoonist likes or doesn't like the person they're drawing. Because if the cartoonist does not like the person, they'll take the most unattractive feature of that person uh, and make it enormous, right? <laughs> so if your ears stick out a little bit, they'll draw you with gigantic you know, Dumbo-sized ears. <laughs> if your nose is a bit large, they'll draw you with a huge Jimmy Durante-sized nose. <laughs> They'll turn you into your most unattractive feature. Now, in the same way, when someone wrongs you, that's immediately what your self-justification apparatus in your heart does to them. It takes the one thing that they've done against you, and you begin to look at them completely in terms of that one thing, of whatever it is that they've done to you. Completely, and that defines the whole person now in your eyes. So, for example, uh, if they lied to you, you begin to think of them as... Nothing but a liar. That's all they are. Now, if you lie, well, that's different, right? (laughs) 
Why? Because you're complex. Uh, there's, there's other sides to it. There's explanations and justifications. There's mitigating circumstances. But why? Because you're complicated. You're multifaceted. But not them when they did it to you. Why do you do this? Because the Bible says you're desperately trying to convince yourself that you're okay. And, 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 and you, you do it on the backs of anyone who fails near you or especially who fails you. But this is what twists you. This is what destroys both you and the other person. Uh, you're doing it because of your sense of superiority over the other person. Why? Because you have a distorted view of yourself, and you exaggerate your own righteousness, and you exaggerate your own goodness. So first, you're out of touch with who you are. Uh, and second, you begin to exaggerate the other person's sins. So you're, you're out of touch with who they are. And then third, you begin to exaggerate the sins of the whole group, group, group of people to whom that person happens to belong. Now do you see how racism begins? Someone of a particular group wrongs you, and you begin to say, well, they're all like that. Uh, and you begin to say and see them just as this one aspect. So, for example, this Jewish person cheats me. Well, all Jews are cheats. This stereotyping uh, comes from our desperate attempt at self-justification. This desperate need to prove you're okay. So for anyone who doesn't have your exact qualities, you find their flaws, and then you caricature them, and then you say, look at those people. They're all like that. And you make the entire group now into a cartoon figure. That's what Hitler did to the Jews, for example. And your whole view of life and reality become distorted. And you become hard, you become cynical, and it's your own fault. Because you should be resisting this natural fallen urge to feel superior and to justify yourself. That's why Proverbs 11, verse 12 on the overhead says, A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. If you know you tend to automatically you know, jump on people uh, who, who've done stupid things, and especially if you've done bad things to you, uh, and, and, and your gut reaction is to feel superior to them, you need to keep your heart from doing that. And when someone else fails, you need to, you need to treat them with sympathy and, and, and respect and hold your tongue. So the only way you're going to repair relationships around the overhead is first you've got to resist the superiority that's at the root of all these relational problems. And then second, you've got to release them from liability. Proverbs 24, 28. Don't testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Don't say, I'll do to him as he did to me. I'll pay him back for what he did. Look at this carefully. This is economic language. It's the language of liability. Uh, when he says, I'm going to pay him back, that means I'm going to exact the payment that he took from me. I'm going to get out of him what he got out of me. Uh, I'm going to take from him what he took from me. It's economic language. I'll hold him liable for what he's done. Now, what are you doing when you hold someone liable? What does it mean to hold a grudge? What does it mean to have resentment? Uh, and what about the opposite? What does it mean to forgive? Look at Proverbs 17, verse 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love. Whoever repeats the matter 
separates close friends. Now, every word has a semantic range of meaning. So when you see the word cover, uh, he who covers over an offense, you might think it means, well, I'm just going to cover it up. That if someone wrongs you, you're supposed to cover it up. But is that what it's saying? No. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. The wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This proverb is saying, among other things, that it's actually one of the most unloving things possible that you can do just to keep letting someone do the wrong thing and enable them to keep doing wrong all the time. And therefore, the prior proverb can't mean you're just supposed to cover up an offense. No, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it means. To get at what it means in context, we need to look at the second half of that same verse, uh, which lists the opposite uh, position, by way of contrast. When it says, Proverbs 17, 9, whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. That's the second half. Repeating a bad report, this is a perfect example of what it means to hold a grudge. Here's how you know you're holding a grudge. You dwell on what was done, uh, whatever the offense was. And first of all, you tell yourself over and over again that this person, or the, or everything this person did bad to me. You keep thinking in your mind over and over again about it. And you're constantly dwelling on it and thinking about it. Uh, you indulge uh, the memory. Uh, you repeat it to yourself. And as a result, you now have ill will against that person. You're rooting for their comeuppance. Uh, you, you're rooting for something go, to, bad to happen to them, something to go wrong with them. And uh, so you repeat it to yourself. And as a result, now second you begin to repeat it to other people. And you tell other people, of course, under the guise of, of, of warning them, <laughs> and you slander the other person. And then third, finally, you repeat it to the person who actually offended you. You don't let them forget it. Uh, you, bring in, you bring up the past over and over again. Uh, you're harsh. Uh, you're unkind. You, know, you tell them off. So biblically, that's the opposite uh, of covering. So then what does it mean to cover a sin? It means to stop repeating it. And you know what you're doing by repeating? When you're repeating it, you're trying to exact the cost. You're trying to make them pay the debt. That's why you're repeating it to other people. That's why you're repeating it to yourself. That's why you're repeating it to them. And when you see things go wrong in their life, you feel better. Because there's a sense of of the debt that you think they owe you of going down. If you can hurt them, you start to feel a little bit better because now you're trying to exact the cost from them. So now what does it mean to cover an offense? It's the opposite of dwelling on it and repeating it and exacting the cost. It's more like this. You're out to dinner with a bunch of friends and each of you owes for their own meal. Uh, They each incurred a debt. At the end of the meal, you say, don't worry, put your money back, put your wallets away, I'll cover it. To forgive an offense means you pay, you absorb the cost. Here's how to forgive someone. You typically don't feel forgiving at first. You have to first act it out. Uh, and if you do forgiveness, eventually you begin to feel forgiveness. How do you start to do forgiveness? You don't repeat. You don't bring the matter up to the person uh, and then rub their nose in it. You know, bring it up to other people around you and, and, and slander them. And you don't keep bringing it up to yourself. Now, go home and try this. And you know what's going to happen? 
the first time you have the opportunity to run that person down, but you say, no, I won't, it will seem like a thousand deaths. <laughs> oh, that hurts not to indulge my desire to badmouth them. And the first time you're tempted to keep bringing back up the offense in your mind, replaying the tapes and indulging in these hate fantasies, and you say no and you turn your mind away from it and start thinking of other things, ouch, that hurts. To deny yourself this psychic pleasure of replaying these tapes in your mind and building up your anger all over again. Why does it hurt? Because now you're paying the cost. You're covering it. You're absorbing the debt yourself. And yeah, that's hard. But what's the alternative? The alternative is to be what the book of Proverbs says is a fool. To be twisted into the very form of that which is twisting you. These are your only two choices. You could either let the evil completely beat you, as you think you're beating it, by fighting fire with fire, uh, uh, by ill will and resentment and slander. You can either be defeated utterly by the evil or you can forgive, even though it's painful. Those are your only two options. So in the overhead, you've got to start to, to repair relationships. You've got to, number one, resist the superiority. And number two, release from liability. And now three, overcoming evil with good. Look at Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-one. Famous, famous proverb. If your enemy's hungry... Give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is a famous, but it's also a very frightening passage. We're told elsewhere in Proverbs, don't have ill will. Don't find your happiness in their unhappiness. Uh, don't, don't have it in for somebody. Okay, very straightforward. Uh, I'm not going to hate them. Uh, I'm not going to have ill will toward them. Basically, I just don't care about them. You know, I don't want to see them. I want nothing to do with them. Uh, that's a sign you still have ill will. Don't kid yourself. When someone says, I just feel very sorry for you, <laughs> what is that? That's your form of punishing them. Uh, I don't want revenge. Bless their heart. Uh, I just, you know, I just feel sorry for those pathetic people. <laughs> what do you think that is? That's simply ill will more politely packaged in our southern genteel manner <laughs> on the overhead. What we're being told here is that there's no easy, surface, superficial, outward escape from ill will and the twisting, destructive effects of it unless you begin to positively will their good. Let's say their character flaw has hurt you. But you need to realize that their character flaw is actually hurting them more. Uh, if they're cranky or angry or an exploitive person, you've been hurt by it. Okay, you've been hurt. And you won't let them do it again to you. But they're going to be hurt by it for the rest of their lives, far more than you're going to be. And now, can you feel that? On the overhead, can you hurt more for them than you were hurt by them? Until you can, until you can do that, you're not free from the evil they've done to you. And that's now in you and it's twisting you. It's not enough simply not to replay, uh, respond evil with evil. You must overcome evil with good. Hallelujah. Paul says this. Actually, he quotes from this verse in Romans 12, verse 14. Uh, he says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Don't repay evil for evil. 
Don't take revenge, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, saith the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, will he burden coals on his head? Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'll be overhead. Lastly, if you've now, if you've dealt with your superiority, and you've released others from liability, uh, and absorbed the debt yourself, and number three, you've overcome evil with good, then and only then can you do number four: begin to lovingly confront them. Oh yes, only then. Why? Look at Proverbs 25, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As we said, it's absolutely unloving to let someone to keep doing wrong to you and to others, to, just, to let it just continue. It's not loving to the rest of the community uh, who's going to be hurt by them. It's not loving to the person themselves. And therefore, you must challenge them. Uh, you must confront in love. But here's what you must see now. Only if you first done the inner forgiveness with the challenge, the confrontation, work. So many people say, oh, I don't want to forgive them. I want justice. But if you don't give, forgive, you will never get justice. Do you see that on the, on the overhead? Because if you don't first get rid of the inner ill will, when you see them and you talk to them, they won't receive it. Because they'll be, they'll be able to tell. You're not trying to help them. You're just trying to punish them. And so they won't listen to a thing you say. And as you express that unresolved anger, you're going to be twisted by it. Because you're still hurting. And therefore, you're trying to hurt them back. And they're just going to repay you back. And on and on it goes in this never-ending cycle of hatred and vengeance and retaliation. If you don't first forgive... And don't, try, and, and don't try to confront them uh, and, and because you're going to be angry with them, with them. You can't do it properly or effectively in love. It'll just make both of you worse. So on the overhead, if you, one, resist the superiority, and two, release the liability, and three, overcome evil with good, then and only then can you confront as necessary. Now, not every offense requires confrontation. You need to know when to pick and choose your battles. But when you see someone caught in a repeated sin pattern, then for both their sake and the community's sake, you need to speak to them and lovingly confront, but only when you've first done these, these first three steps. So there's your Proverbs-approved relationship repair toolkit. But if you're honest, you realize this is spiritually impossible. And it's also psychologically impossible especially these requirements to will your opponent's good and absorb the cost and overcome your sense of superiority and self-justification and confronting them without any ill will at all, you say, how can I possibly do that? And you're right. Author Becky Pippard, uh, years ago, was at a graduate counseling course at Harvard University. Uh, and the professor, who was a professional therapist, was using a method he called psychodynamic psychotherapy. And using this method, he talked about a case in which he helped a patient uncover hidden hostility he had uh, towards his mother. And Becky Pippard raised her hand and said, well, now that you've diagnosed the problem, this, this unforgiveness, how do you now help him forgive his mother? How does psychotherapy 
help somebody forgive. And the professor says, well, he's just going to have to learn to live with his hatred. I don't know how to help someone forgive. Psychology has no answer to that. If he wants a changed heart, perhaps he should try the theology department. (laughs) And as snarky as his comment was, he's actually right. Secular psychology can't change your heart. It can't help you forgive. It has no power to do so. In the same way, and hear me well at time, in the same way religion and legalism and outward trappings of orthodoxy cannot change your heart or help you to forgive. Look what the scriptures say, Colossians 2.23 on the overhead. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their man-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Forgiveness and a changed heart requires the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that religion and legalism and rabbinic Judaism simply don't have. It's the only thing you can do to avoid constant relationship breakdown and being twisted into the very evil that was done to you is to have a new spiritual power in your life. Where do you get that? That brings us to our third and final point on the overhead. So we have the need for relationship repair and the components of it. And now finally, number three, the heart of relationship repair. Look at Proverbs 24, 17. Don't gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, don't let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. Now at first blush, this seems like it's saying, uh, you should go to your enemy and say, I don't need to pay you back. God's going to get you. (laughs) But is that what this proverb is really saying? On the overhead, Bruce Walkie, this famous commentator on the book of Proverbs, he writes this. It can't be saying in verse 18 that you should hope for God's wrath to fall on someone because that's exactly what verse 17 says you're not allowed to do. Rather, it's saying that when you hate someone for the sin that they perpetrated against you, God is as angry at your hate as he is against the original perpetration. God is as angry with your hate as he is at the other person who first sinned against you. And ironically, your hate is causing the Lord to focus now on your sin instead of on the original perpetrator who sinned against you. Because from the Lord's point of view, your your resentment is every bit as bad. Why? Because we read this in Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. On the overhead. Do you know why? You know what's so bad when you have a grudge? You're putting yourself in the place of God. You're a servant acting as if you're a Lord. Now, we all know that doesn't work. Ever see a five-year-old try to drive a car? (laughs) It's a disaster. And when you, a servant, try to put yourself in the place of the Lord, that's a disaster. And every time you decide to keep a grudge against someone, that's exactly what you're doing. You're a servant. You're not a Lord. When you say in your heart, I wish such and such a bad thing will happen to this person, how do you know what they deserve? Do you know everything that's ever happened to them in their whole life? Do you know what their childhood was like? 
How do you know? Only the Lord knows what they deserve. Only the Lord has the right to give the person what he or she deserves. And when you stay angry at someone, you're a servant acting as if you're a Lord. And it'll ruin you and ruin the people around you. Okay, what's the solution? We need to read the Hebrew Scriptures in light of the New Covenant. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, Deuteronomy 32, 35, it says, Venge- the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. When we read this, Vengeance is mine. Now read this in light of the New Covenant, where the Lord says, I'll take the vengeance. Oh, my God. We suddenly realize a deeper level of what this verse means. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment, the wrath that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Hallelujah, yes. Each of us has turned to his own way, but what, what the Lord has laid on him, the iniquity of us all. And the overhead, the only thing that will stop servants from acting as lords is to behold the absolute beauty of the Lord who became a servant. Yeshua became a servant, taking on the vengeance that you deserved. Why do you feel superior? Because you don't have a new heart. Do you want a new heart? Do you want a heart for relationship repair? Do you want a heart for forgiveness? Do you want a heart that overcomes evil with good? Do you want a heart that no longer feels superior? A heart that doesn't need to justify itself? Then look at Yeshua. Look at Yeshua taking the vengeance that you deserved. Vengeance is his. Oh my God, vengeance is his. He takes it on himself for you. And when you see the Lord acting as a servant for your sake, then you who are a servant will stop acting like a Lord. That's how you overcome your superiority. Look at what Yeshua has done for you. Embrace him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow him, surrender to him, submit to him. And when you see what Yeshua has done for you, you no longer feel superior to anybody else. That's how you overcome your need for self-justification. See how much Yeshua loves you, that he was willing to pay the ultimate price for you, to save you if you repent and give your life to him. And if you resent the pain that it takes to forgive someone, the the cost of it, just look at Yeshua bearing the cost for you. And he'll fill you with his spirit. And he'll give you a new creation heart, which is exactly what you need. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. And the music team to come on up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We, we, We confess today we have relationships in our life that need repairing. Maybe it's with our spouses, uh, with our children, uh, with our parents. Maybe it's at work. Uh, Maybe it's with a fellow member of of this shul or with other friends. Lord, we confess our ill will that we secretly harbor against others. Our ill will that results in Lashon Hara. Uh, An ill will that's twisting my soul. Uh, That's grievous to you, Lord. And poisons relationships and community. Lord, we repent. 
We ask you to heal our tongue and to change our heart. Lord, help us resist the temptation to superiority and pride and and looking down on others and thinking we're better. We confess our sense of superiority drives our ill will. So, Lord Yeshua, help me be released from this, from from this liability. Release, Release others from liability, not to hold a grudge, not to gossip about them, but to forgive those who've wronged me. Lord, help me to positively will the good of those who've hurt me or offended me. Let me not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. And only then let me confront someone and only do it in love and humility. Lord, you say vengeance is mine. And you, Yeshua, you took the vengeance that I deserved. You, Yeshua, you were pierced for my transgressions. You, You were crushed for my iniquity. And by my repenting and putting my trust in you, and surrendering my life to you, you, Yeshua, you, you will change, you promise to change my heart and fill me with your spirit, which is exactly what I need to repair all my broken relationships. And so I pray this now in your name, Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat shalom.